say hello to a new friend on an old road. Take a two-lane trip of memories into mysteries unknown. Come along for the ride. Jim Hinckley's America. Jim Hinckley's America. A little music up there from uh, Joe and Woody and the boys of the road crew. If you need some road trip inspiration or a theme song for your grand adventure, it's hard to beat those fellas. Take a listen, roadcrew66.com. Great tunes. So how is everybody doing this morning? Is everybody excited about being here? Well, I am glad to hear that. Hey, this is an interactive program. So feel free to call in or post your questions. We're going to try to get through this pretty quick today. We have quite a program for you this morning. A lot of diversity, a lot of road trips, a lot of interesting things to see and do. Good morning, Miss Maggie, all the way from Lansing, Michigan. And Oh, my, we got folks from England and Netherlands and God knows we're all. Good morning, everybody. Hey, let's start off with a little bit of news here from uh, Tucumcari, New Mexico. Uh, it was announced recently that the Albuquerque-based Fast TV Network and the Classical Gas Museum of Embudo, New Mexico, and the Route 66 Association of New Mexico are all relocating to Tucumcari, New Mexico. You know, I like this town a lot. You can see some of the things they have to offer at uh, visittucumcarrynm.com. Uh, the old town took a beating with the bypass of Route 66. But boy, she's got a vibrancy going. And you can see that this town is on the fast track to some pretty big things. Uh, on my up upcoming Heartland tour kicks off this next week. We'll be turning over the keys to the homestead to our son and his girlfriend and hitting the road. And... One of our stops is Tucumcari, New Mexico. We'll be visiting with some uh, old friends and got some meetings about uh, tourism, Main Street projects. And of course, I'll keep you posted on that as it uh, comes up. We talked about uh, some, uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about Route 66 in uh, all different eras and the fun of traveling the road and uh, some little tough times. There's an interesting story on uh, Route 66 news that came up recently. Uh, Route 66 is a news. You got to be patient. They, for some reason, allow a ton of pop-ups, but, but website has got a lot of great things. And the article says uh, that uh, postcard of Oklahoma Joe's Genuine Pit Barbecue on Route 66 in Albuquerque had this information uh, September 12, 1947, the editor of the newspaper, the New Mexico Lobo, sent black student George Long and a reporter to Oklahoma Joe's a cafe near campus. The wait staff at the cafe refused service to the pair on the basis of Long's race, and the Lobo published an account of the incident in the September 19th issue. The publicity given to the experience, including the follow-up letter to the editor, 
in the September 1923, uh, September 23rd Lobo initiated events that resulted in the passage of Albuquerque's anti-discrimination ordinance in 1952. Huh. Well, it turns out that Long was a native of Alabama. He served in the Army during World War II. He wasn't very inclined to tolerate discrimination once he got home. And, uh, Anyway, the passage of the ordinance occurred two years before the landmark Brown versus Board of Education decided uh, by the decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, interestingly enough, though, it uh, still was an uphill battle in uh, regards to prejudices and things of that nature on Route 66. Uh, for example... On August 11th, 1955, at uh, Klein's Corner, New Mexico, this is uh, along Route 66 east of Albuquerque, a traffic accident caused by fatigue claimed the lives of six men immediately to the west of Klein's Corners, and it sparked an investigation by the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, that garnered headlines throughout the country. In an article that appeared on August 16th in the Albuquerque Tribune, Edward Boyd, a special assistant with the NAACP in Albuquerque, said that, quote, it was not surprising that the men died in the accident. He noted that his investigation determined that they could not have found a welcome at any of the auto courts or motels on Route 66 from the Texas border to Albuquerque. Boyd's investigation also found that less than 8% of the more than 100 motels and auto courts along the Route 66 corridor in Albuquerque would accept Negro tourists. He noted that when presented with this information, Don Elton of the New Mexico Motor Hotel Association and J.D. Jackson uh, responded with no comment. Hmm. Well, you know, we live in an interesting time where people on both sides of the aisle, they want to grab history and use it to justify all kinds of behavior and claim victim status. And the other side don't want to teach history at all. They want to whitewash it and paint it. And the bottom line is we need to present history as it was, not as we want it to be. That's how we learn from history. That's how we grow. That's how history becomes a milestone charting our progress as a nation and as a people. Uh, one of the people that was instrumental in these things, and there's been talked a lot over the years, and recently there was a book about the Green Book. It wasn't overly accurate, but it, uh, it, it, it was a good book, and it gave you a, uh, a little bit of insight, if you will, into the prejudices of the era. And some of us are old enough to remember this. I came in on the tail end of some of these things down south. As a kid, my folks had farms in North Alabama and South Tennessee, spent a lot of summers down there. And I came in on the tail end. I can barely remember, but I... Uh, the uh, colored restrooms, things of that nature down in Mississippi. And that takes us to Victor Green. Uh, Victor Green was born on November 9th, 1892 in New York City. 
He worked as a postal carrier in Harlem and collected information on hotels, restaurants, and businesses in the New York City area that served or catered to African Americans. In 1937, he published this information in a little pamphlet that he entitled The Negro Motorist Green Book. It proved so popular that for the 1937 edition, he expanded coverage to include businesses throughout the United States. In the introduction, Green wrote, there will be a day sometime in the future when this guide will not have to be published. That is when we, we as a race, will have equal rights and privileges in the United States. With each subsequent annual edition, demand exceeded the publication of 15,000 copies annually. This led Green, upon retirement from the post office, to establish a publishing office at 200 West 135th Street in Harlem to hire a small staff to expand coverage to international destinations, and that resulted in the name change to the Negro Travelers Green Book in 1952 and in 1947 to establish a vacation reservation service. Marketed to African-American owned businesses, such as Murray's Dude Ranch, uh, the world's largest Negro dude ranch is how it was advertised. This was located near Apple Valley in California along Route 66 and to carefully chosen Caucasian owned businesses. The book continued to grow in popularity through the 1940s and the 1950s. Among the primary outlets were the Esso gas stations this is actually one of the few franchises that was available to African-Americans. By 1949, the directory had expanded to more than 80 pages and included advertisements from companies such as Ford, Esso, and Resorts in Bermuda. A particular interest in this issue is the advertisement from Esso. Quote, as re representatives of the Esso Standard Oil Company, we are pleased to recommend the Green Book for your travel convenience. Keep one on hand each year, and when, when you are planning your trips, let Esso Touring Service supply you with maps and complete routings, and for real happy motoring, use Esso products and Esso service wherever you find the Esso sign. With a post-war boom in travel, Green's publication gained in prominence and importance to the African-American motorist. Shortly after passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Green suspended publication. In the fall of 2010, the contributions made by Green and his guidebook were introduced to a new generation by Calvin Alexander Ramsey in a children's book entitled Ruth and the Green Book. Uh, I'm happy to report that they are reprinting a lot of copies of the Green Book now. They make for some interesting reading. I would also highly recommend Candace Taylor's book, The Overground Railroad, uh, about African-American travel in uh, these uh, the year of segregation. But uh, the Green Books, uh, grab yourself a couple copies, make for some interesting looks. Uh, Candace Taylor has been doing a pretty good job of trying to document these properties uh, and speaks extensively on African-American travel during his years. And the Green Book stands in stark contrast to another great book. This is a little pocket guide, a little bigger than a pocket guide. It's called A Guidebook to Highway 66. It was published by Jack Rittenhouse. 
And the cover says, A Mile by Mile Complete Handbook on How to Get the Most Fun from Your Trip. Full data on towns, historic spots, and highway facts, roads, hills, and garages. This was published in 1946. Was reprinted quite a lot by the University of New Mexico Press in Albuquerque. Pretty easy to find a copy, and I really, really highly recommend this. If you're a fan of Route 66 or mid-century American history, the preface to the facsimile edition says, quote, this is an exact facsimile of the first guidebook of its kind to the full-length famous Route 66 from Chicago to L.A. It was first published in 1946, less than a year after the end of World War II. Uh, this guidebook is really, really quite intriguing. Uh, one of the things I found fascinating about Jack Rittenhouse's trip, he had thought that he would really make some money on this trip by selling his guidebook. He knew the road would be quite popular. Uh, but what I found, one of the things I found unusual about Mr. Rittenhouse's trip was his mode of transportation. Uh, Mr. Rittenhouse, <laughs> it just is astounding. He made this trip and his research trip in a 1939 American Bantam Coupe. Even when new, these were not overly popular. These were diminutive little cars. They were small. These cars, I think, were so small that the salesman had to ask you what size car you wore before they sold it to you. Uh, it weighed 1,200 pounds at the curb. Had a 75-inch wheelbase, no trunk, no tripodometer, no radio. Had a 22-horsepower engine, but could give you 250 miles on a five-gallon tank of gas. It sold new for $335. The car was hopelessly underpowered, and here he is driving on this trip. Uh, Oatman Road, Route 66 section here, uh, is 14, 15% grades, for God's sakes. He says, uh, and the, Jack Rittenhouse later said that, I had to inspect the scenery, so I drove from dawn to dusk at 35 miles an hour. There were no tape recorders, so I scrawled notes on a big yellow pad on the seat beside me. And each night I dug out my portable typewriter and typed up my notes. Well, he says we printed 3,000 copies and sold them for a dollar each, doing business by mail to bookshops, newsstands, cafes, tourist courts. And I learned the hard way that a, well, uh, a self-published author usually has a fool for a distributor. Yeah, I've tried self-publishing. It's improved a bit, but not that much. The book goes through milepost by milepost and makes it quite interesting. He has got mileage guides east to west and west to east. Uh, quite, quite entertaining. But for example, Chicago to Los Angeles is listed as 2,295 miles. But, uh, but for example, he's got neat things like Godly, Illinois at 29 miles, 217 miles if you're headed the other direction. Population 85, no facilities. Once a booming mining community, now only a few homes remain. South of the town are slag heaps from the mines. And he goes through this through every town and he provides uh road conditions a little bit of uh, history of the highway for example uh miami oklahoma 
population 8,345, altitude 800 feet. Major hotels, the Miami Hotel, also main hotel. There's garages, the Neosho, B&M, Norton Elliott, and Miami. Tourist courts, Sooner Estate, stores, all facilities. The town is named after the Miami Indians. Northeastern A&M College is located here. Prospectors seeking lost Spanish mines found rich deposits of zinc and lead instead. As you leave town, you cross the Neosho River, and at the edge of town is a small civilian airport and several gas stations. Uh, it really gets pretty detailed on some of the war things he uh, does on this trip. For example, here in my neck of the woods, he talks uh, has a nice entry about Kingman that is pretty detailed. He even mentions Hyde Park and Deer Lodge. Took me quite a few years to find the ruins of Deer Lodge. Uh, just I uh, just finally discovered it about two years ago. Hyde Park was a cafe, cast and cabins. It's uh, west of Seligman, Arizona. It's ruins today. They had a novel advertising campaign. Park your hide tonight at Hyde Park. Signs up and down the road. Uh, Kingman. At uh, 265 miles is the entrance to the Kingman Army Air Base, one of the greatest of our military training bases during World War II. The vast plain, this would be the Wallapai Valley. The isolation and geography of the region offered ideal training conditions. Great bombers and swift fighters operated from here. It was said that the bright moonlight made night flying training difficult. Yeah, he said there's a gas station and grocery store uh, near the Kingman Air Base. I believe that might have been Logosville. I'm not sure. The entry on Kingman is kind of intriguing. Population 2,200, altitude 3,337 uh, feet. The hotels were the Beale, the Brunswick, and the Commercial. Uh, two of those are still here. They're both uh, closed. The Brunswick is currently undergoing renovation, dating back to about 1909. The Brunswick Hotel has been bought by a Swiss property developer, and he's developing it as a restaurant, office complex, and suites. The Beale Hotel has been closed for a long time, dates back to about 1899-1900. That's a story for another day. Commercial Hotel was actually one of the courthouses here in Kingman got relocated to Front Street, which is now Andy Devine Avenue, Route 66, and served as a motel until the early 1950s. Jack Rittenhouse also notes a lot of tourist courts. The Akron, the Arcadia. The Arcadia has survived, dates to 1939. The Wallapai, Williams, Kit Carson Motel, Gypsy Garden, Stony Walled, the Bungalow, White Rock Court. The White Rock Court is still here. It's now a private residence. And it's one, the only motel in Kingman that was listed in the uh, Negro Motors Green Book. Uh, Lambert's Gateway Village, Bell Stratton's, the Kingman, the El Trovador, which is still here, and the Challenger. Uh, the El Trovador and the Arcadia both date back to before World War II. And it mentions garages, Williston in Ireland. It's gone. The Old Trails Garage, still here. The facade was just recently renovated. And a circa 1930 Packard Sales and Service neon sign was added to the front, uh, courtesy of uh, the owners of the property and the uh, 
uh, Route 66 Association of Kingman, Arizona. And he mentions trailer courts and garages and uh, cafes and stores. And uh, he mentions set your check your speedometer readings at Midtown section of Kingman and then uh, continue with the margins. Cars going east must stop at the state inspection station on the eastern edge of town. I recently located that site. Uh, then he goes on to say, during the war when the Air Force ba Air Base was active, all tourist courts were occupied to overflowing. The traveler can now find accommodations, several good cafes in town. And each September, the citizens of Kingman celebrate their famous Dig and Dogie Days. It's a combination rodeo and miners' events. Since Kingman lies on the margin between cattle country to the east and mining country to the west, the event draws a wide audience of local folks as well as outside visitors. Only working cowboys can enter the riding contest, and miners compete to see who can drill a hole fastest. The town takes on quite an old-time costumed atmosphere during the celebration. Kingman residents will probably tell you, too, that it was in this town that Clark Gable and Carol Lombard were wed. If you ever got a chance, I don't know, those mining contests have faded out quite a bit, but it's really something to see. They were hand-drilling contests. They had a single drill. The miner would take a drill steel and turn it with one hand and use a 10-pound double-jack sledgehammer with the other, pounding the steel and twisting it to drill through. And a team event was a 20-pound double-jack. One man would turn the drill steel, the other man would swing the hammer. And to think that people did this for a living, pretty damned amazing. God bless time sure flew this morning, didn't it? Well, I've been beating my gums for half an hour, and I still have a couple of things I've got to share with you. Let's see. You can read more about uh, some of the things I've talked about today. In uh, I have a companion series of books, the Route 66 Encyclopedia and the Illustrated Route 66 Historical Atlas. Uh, I'm not sure you can get them on eBay as hardcovers. They have been reprinted in paperbacks. They do not sell my books here in Kingman at the Visitor Center, but they do at the Mojave Museum of History and Arts and Calico's Restaurant. Both locations have signed copies of my books, including the Route 66 Historical Atlas. Now, as to the Heartland Tour, I have been asked, can't give you a whole bunch of information because that would spoil the fun. We got a contest going here. If you spot the Jim Hinckley's America vehicle on the road, look for the signs and get a picture posted on Instagram or uh, Twitter or Facebook. Use the hashtag Jim Hinckley's America. At the end of the month, we're going to draw with the publishers. We're going to draw a uh, random selection. Give away a copy of one of my new books, uh, Murder and Mayhem on the Main Street of America, Tales from Bloody 66, or Here We Are on Route 66, or The Back Roads of Route 66. All you got to do is post that picture. Uh, on Facebook, tag James Hinckley. Twitter and Instagram, tag Jim Hinckley. And you've got one more for you, a bonus. If you catch me on the road, get a picture, a selfie with me, and the sign in the background, post it just like I mentioned, use the same hashtag. But the bonus is I have a bunch of Route 66 souvenirs. 
I've got stuff from Tucum Carry, a good sponsor of Jim Hinckley's America, the uh, Route 66 Association of Kingman, Arizona, another sponsor of this adventure. And, uh, oh, the Route 66 Yacht Club. And, uh, boy, I got, all, I got all kinds of stuff. Uh, Jim Hinckley's America pins. So watch for me on the road. Okay. Here's some teasers where we're going to be. Uh, after October 23rd, Connie Eccles at the Wagon Wheel Motel in Cuba, Missouri, there on Route 66, she has an expansive gift shop and a large bookstore. Well, after the 23rd of October, she's going to have a lot of signed copies of books by Jim Hinckley. As a bit of trivia, the Wagon Wheel Motel is the oldest continuously operated motel on Route 66, dates to the mid-1930s. Uh, October 20th, I will be at home again on Route 66 in Pontiac, Illinois. I'll be there from 3 to 5 o'clock answering Route 66 questions, talking Route 66, and signing books. <coughs> it's a great little gift shop. Uh, other stops, can't tell you the order, the dates, the times, because that'd just take the fun right out of this. But I will be stopping in Moriarty, New Mexico, Winslow, Arizona. Uh, as I mentioned, Tucumcari, New Mexico, Ponca City, Oklahoma. I'll be in Pontiac, Illinois for a few days at the uh, Miles of Possibility Conference and, of course, the book signing. On the afternoon of Saturday there, the, uh, what is it, 22nd, I will be speaking at the Miles of Possibility Conference about grassroots initiatives and how they can transform a community. Things that the Route 66 Association of Kingman has been doing, uh, the uh, Kingman Main Street, the illustrated, narrated, historic district walking tour that they've just uh, completed. Uh, I'll also be in Atlanta, Illinois on the evening of October 18th at the Museum and Library. I have a presentation called Trails, Rails, and Route 66, talking about 9,000 plus years of evolution of trails and uh, along the Route 66 corridor. I think you find that people can tend that, find that interesting. Also on our list, we will be in Russellville, Arkansas, Perryville, Missouri, McLean, Texas. Yeah, we're going to be on the road. We're turning the homestead over to our son and his uh, his girlfriend, and uh, they will be the caretakers, and they'll be running interference for me uh, here at the offices of Jim Hinckley's America to make sure that we have uh, we can respond quickly to inquiries, things of that nature, if something I miss. Uh, real quick, we're running out of time here, but uh, tomorrow morning, Coffee with Jim. We're going to be talking about St. Louis as the Motor City. Specifically, we're going to be talking about uh, the moon automobile. Archie Andrews, a uh, swashbuckling fellow that, uh, well, he was not encumbered by ethics, let's put it that way. Kind of like a couple politicians we know and that are running for president, things of that nature. That's a story for another day. But a uh, real interesting story when uh, it gets, it, it, the intrigue is, is astounding. Uh, the uh, board of directors at Moon tried to prevent a hostile takeover by literally barricading themselves in the boardroom. Uh, wow. You're going to like that story. Now, the podcast. 
we're going to keep this going on Sunday somehow, but uh, I can't. I've got the time differences because, uh, of course, 7 o'clock in Arizona is a little bit different than 7 o'clock in Michigan. So I'm not sure how we're going to do this for the next few weeks, uh, but I'll figure something out. And it might be an abbreviated show, be a short show, might be a little bit longer. Maybe we can get some people involved. Uh, because I have a very, very tight schedule. It's just grueling. And so that and the time difference is going to make this a real challenge. But we'll keep that going. Shouldn't be too much of a problem. And the same with Card Talk from the Main Street of America, our Monday morning podcast that is recorded. This program, of course, is always live and interactive and then archived on Spotify and other venues. Uh, Car Talk from the Main Street of America, like I mentioned, tomorrow is Moon. Uh, A week from tomorrow, the Car Talk from the Main Street of America will be a program about the amazing Mr. Benjamin Briscoe. He had a couple factories there in Jackson, Michigan, produced the uh, one-eyed Briscoe automobile. And, uh, well, he God bless, he kind of laid the foundation for Chrysler, uh, he, he paved the way and laid the foundation for the formation of General Motors. He financed and bankrolled David Buick to get him started. And pretty interesting character somehow has fallen through the cracks with the passing of time. If you're ever up and around Jackson, Michigan, take a look at the Ye Old Carriage Museum. It's a private museum out in Spring Arbor, Michigan. But Lloyd Ganton's pretty accommodating. Uh, he has quite a collection of Briscoes and Earls and other cars made in jackson michigan okay <coughs> is there anything i have forgotten how do we like this this morning good program any questions that i can answer for you or uh, anything i can do at this point well i want to thank everybody for joining us today And, uh, well, I hope to see you on the road. And if nothing else, well, we'll talk again next week. And we're going to be off the rails for a couple weeks, but uh, we'll get back to normal. And, boy, am I going to have some stories to share when I get back. Until then, my friends, adios. Say hello to a new friend on an old road. Take a two-lane trip of memories into mysteries unknown. Come along for the ride. Jim Hinckley's America. Jim Hinckley's America. Friends, until we meet again, you take care of yourself. Vaya que Dios.